everybody. Welcome to Hashtag No Limits. I'm your host, Shelly Kino, and today with me, I have my friend, Jessica Kong. Jessica is a fellow master IEP coach, and I actually got to meet her in person at our conference last year. Um, she lives in Utah yes. now. <laughs> She's moved a couple of times in the last year, so that's why I had to hesitate. Um, so if you have ever watched Hashtag No Limits, you know that this show is about people whose society has placed limits upon, but who have bust through those limits. As a master IEP coach, we see that all the time. As a former special education teacher, I saw that all the time. And that's why I wanted to do this show, because I wanted to bring awareness that there are lots of people doing lots of wonderful things all across this country and across this world. And so that's going to bring us up to Jessica. Jessica has um, pretty much lifelong stories that she's going to be able to share with us. So welcome, Jessica. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'm so glad to be able to do this with you. So you have become famous in the last few days, more famous than you already were. I, I should I should put it that way. Um, so what do I mean by that? So I just had an article published with Love What Matters. It's a good news social media type of outlet, and they um, share stories that are motivational and inspiring. Yes. And I read through that story, and it absolutely is both motivational and inspiring. And I'm so happy for you and for all of the families that will read that and be blessed by that story and be encouraged. And I'm hoping that we can do that through this show as well. Um, Ophelia says in Hamlet that we know who we are, but not who we will become. And that's why I have the butterfly, because I don't think there's a better example of that than the caterpillar turning into the butterfly. And you have some great personal experiences as well. So tell us a little bit about yourself and about your, your own childhood and now as an adult, what your life is like. So my name is Jessica Ann Kong. Um, I am currently a special education teacher and a registered behavior technician in addition to a master IEP coach. Um, I'm a special needs sibling and a special needs mom. Um, as a child, I was a special needs sibling. My brother uh, was autistic. And so I got to experience through him, his experience with special education. Um, we had some pretty traumatic experiences because he had a, what I, I consider autism an umbrella, umbrella diagnosis. You know, you say mm -hmm. you have autism or you know somebody with autism, but normally there's a lot of other things that kind of coincide with that. It could be sensory issues. It could be other medical issues. And, you know, my brother was no different. So um, he struggled with um, allergy reactions to medications um, being discarded from any sort of groups because of um, people considering his behaviors awkward and not socially appropriate. And I was just heartbroken seeing my brother being tossed aside and he refused to allow anyone to tell him what he couldn't do. You know, he is very successful now, has had several jobs living independently and he's loving life. And I'm just so happy and so proud to be his sister. That's so awesome. So is he a younger brother or an older brother? He's a younger brother. So I was about five when he was born. <laughs> okay. So were you, do you have an older sibling or were you the oldest? I'm the oldest. <laughs> okay. So I know that when my, when I was born, my older sibling 
is about five years older than I am. And he was not happy to have a younger sibling. Now, I don't know if that's because it was a brother versus a sister. How did you feel when your brother was born? I actually was okay with it. I already had a younger sister, so I was kind of excited to have a brother. You know, I had a sister and um, having somebody to play with was nice, but I didn't have experience with brothers. So I thought that that would be something that would be cool. <laughs> yeah. So what kinds of things did your brother do? Um, in the article, you mentioned that he had some behaviors that, I mean, they, he was just your brother. You know, mm -hmm. you, you didn't think anything odd about them until you got into school with him and you started to see some ways that he was treated. So what were some of those behaviors and what were some of the ways that he was treated then? So he was very hyper-focused on things. He had very um, unique special interests. So at home, we would watch the same TV shows over and over again, you know, Land Before Time, American Tale, um, We're Back. So like dinosaur themed and anything that had like a lot of music and, you know, like dance moves. So, um, you know, we would dance and sing and, you know, just I thought it was whatever, you know, we're, we're kids. I didn't think anything of it. Sure. But, um, you know, when we got into school and I realized, you know, he was scripting a lot. He was just kind of repeating um lyrics or phrases from these movies and people obviously scripting means that it's completely out of context you know it's just he just felt like singing a song or you know doing a little dance and um you know people thought that that was weird and i i just thought it was you know enjoying life i didn't think of it as something odd and so i'd do it with him you know when we were at home but at school people just they didn't um, react friendly to that. They wanted him to be quiet. They wanted him to sit still. They didn't want him to walk on his tiptoes or um, be sing-songy or talking with weird voices. They wanted him to fit the mold of, you know, every other child. And he just, it was just very hard for him because, um, you know, there's certain things that can be taught and there's other things that we just have to be a little bit more patient and accepting of. And I think that those behaviors um, in certain contexts were not hurting anybody, but they just weren't embraced and it was never allowed. It was never okay for him to be himself. Yeah. And that certainly has to be heartbreaking. I don't have any younger siblings, but I imagine that I would be a very protective big sister. And I imagine that you're the that you were the same way. Mm -hmm. um, so what, how did that make you feel? Were there things that you did or that you wanted to do that you couldn't do because you weren't an adult? So <laughs> I definitely got into some arguments with, you know, neighborhood kids, kids from school, because they would be making fun of him or say, you know, he can't play with us because he's going to do this or that. And so I'd say, fine, I'm, I'm not going to play either, you know, because I was one of the older kids in the group that we hung out with. So um, I felt like it was my way of punishing them. I, I don't know how much people <laughs> cared, but. <laughs> well, yeah, I remember having an older couple of kids in our in our neighborhood, too. And, yeah, they were the cool kids because they were older. So yeah. I get that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So besides the scripting and the sing-songy, well, I said you, you said he walked on his tiptoes. Mm -hmm. um, what were the behaviors that were the least received um, in the classroom by the teachers and by the, his fellow students, fellow peers? 
So he had a lot of um, escape behaviors as well because school was difficult for him. So, you know, who wants to sit and complete tasks that are difficult? Nobody wants to do them. And he was asked to do that every single day he went to school. So, you know, he would try to hide or he would be a little whiny or, you know, he would try to have ways to escape from having to complete his work because it was hard and he wasn't receiving the type of accommodations he needed. Um, my parents, you know, they didn't have any experience with any sort of special needs and we didn't really have um, anybody else in our family at the time or had any friends that were also going through anything similar. So my parents were really just trying to learn anything that he was having to go up against. It was really a big learning curve for everybody. And unfortunately, at the time with resources, with the the time period in general, the 90s, you know, it was, oh, everybody's being di diagnosed with ADHD. And so, you know, they kind of, oh, it, he's just being a kid and you guys are making it a bigger deal than what it is. And so they kind of tried to brush off his disability. And um, I think long term, it made him more dedicated and passionate and self-determined. But I just feel like he missed out on so much as a child. And it's really sad because he should have been accepted and embraced for his right. Yeah. And there was, like you said, in the 90s, there was not only a lot of people being diagnosed, but there were also a lot of people then who didn't believe all those diagnoses either because... Mm -hmm. Where, you know, all of a sudden, I mean, it was just exploding with ADD and ADHD and autism diagnoses. And people are like, eh, I'm not really sure. You know, there wasn't a lot of information out about it yet. Mm -hmm. um, and so did he or did he not have an IEP going through school? He did have an IEP. Okay. But my parents didn't have any sort of communication plan. Um, I honestly don't even know if they had like any idea about his scheduling. I know that he did receive some outside services um, because that was something that stood out to kids as well as, oh, he must be a bad kid because he's being pulled out of the classroom to receive services. Because like I said, you know, it was kind of just that time period where um, the kids that were bad needed the extra help. And that's just not true, but that was just a stereotype. Right. And we have advanced, but the the wheels of education um, and the wheels of, I think, people in general, as far as inclusive environments and as far as um, understanding and attempting to understand move very slowly. Mm -hmm. And in the 90s, I mean, the law was you know, 20 years old, but as our mentor, Catherine Witcher always says, you know, that, that was really just the, the first generation of people who had grown up and were now becoming teachers mm -hmm. since the law was in place. And so they were still trying to get things figured out and didn't have a ton of training either. Um, and now here we are 45 years later. Um, and while we're doing better with our training for teachers, I still think we could improve a mm. lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, I got my degree in the early two thousands and I, I did a lot of on the job training mm -hmm. and I, I think a lot of teachers do. Um, and I think that comes as a surprise to many parents. And how do you feel since you said you too are a special education teacher? 
Yes. So um, I'm actually in a unique situation because I work inside of an autism clinic. So um, all the kiddos in my classroom are also receiving ABA therapy throughout the day. Um, however, that also means that I have kids um, in a kind of broad age group. And so I have to modify their curriculum a lot. And so I am constantly doing a lot of training on um, different accommodations for different types of disabilities. Because as I stated, even though they're at an autism clinic, that's an umbrella diagnosis. They have dyslexia, ADHD, um, you know, maybe they need text to speech because they have like an audible disability as well. And so there's just a lot of moving parts. And um, I never realized until coming to, to this side of the table, um, the kind of things that you're exposed to as a teacher and the things that you're asked to do kind of on your own. And it's a lot. It really is. <laughs> yeah. And not only is it a lot for those of us who have a degree in special education, but it's so much more than for teachers in general education population because they get so much less training than what we do. Mm -hmm. And we're expecting them to, to be able to make these accommodations and um, modify curriculum if necessary and mm -hmm. understand the behaviors and do all of these things within their gen ed classrooms. And they didn't get the same training that we have. Um, and so I, that used to bug me because I was like, well, I learned how to do, like I said, there was a lot of on the job training for me, mm -hmm. but now I empathize with them. And I'm like, oh my gosh, we, we need to, to be better about this and mm -hmm. be more understanding to them. Um, so for parents, I don't know, that might've been a, like, what, <laughs> you know, not just for the special ed teachers, but for the gen ed teachers too. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I was, I was talking to um, another one of our master IP coaches who's also a speech pathologist. And she was saying too, that like the training that she received, um, she had her degree in speech pathology, but she got her first job and they said, okay, here's your um, list of students. Now go make your schedule. And she went, what? I, nobody ever taught me how to make a schedule for my students. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's a lot of things that we learn, but there's a lot of things that we don't learn. Mm -hmm. um, so for any parents that are listening, just try to be a little more gentle with your teachers and your therapists for your children, because they may not know as much as you think they should know. And, and um, so an RBT, tell me a little bit more what an RBT stands for and what that is. So an RBT is a registered behavior technician. And essentially that is, I am a therapist that is providing um, positive reinforcement to the good behaviors that we want to see increased. And I'm trying to um, kind of redirect the maladaptive behaviors or the behaviors that can be harmful to the student in like the community for themselves or um, any sort of environment that they may be um, be having these particular behaviors that aren't very beneficial to them. And I absolutely love it. I actually became a registered behavior technician mostly because I wanted to know how to help my own son. Um, he is on the autism spectrum as well. And I was wanting to understand how to help him because the way I raised my oldest 
was completely different. And it was just because my first son, he had um, a better grasp and understanding of the things that I was verbally telling him. And my younger one needed uh, a lot more prompting, visual reminders, um, modeling. And I just was so confused as to what I felt like I was doing wrong. I was like, I don't understand. My poor child is so confused all the time. What am I doing wrong? <laughs> so trying to to make sure I was reinforcing when he was doing the right thing and um, trying to keep him away from like the distractions and stuff while he was completing the tasks that I needed him to do. <laughs> yeah. And I hope that that any parents that were that are listening really caught on to what you just said as far as what am I doing wrong? It wasn't that you were really doing anything wrong. It was you didn't know any different. Mm-hmm. And I, I hope that you gave yourself a little bit of grace and that other parents that are watching will give themselves that grace because we don't know what we don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and as Maya Angelou says, now that we know better, we do better. Mm-hmm. So when you learn something new, then you implement it and you forgive yourself for anything prior to that, that you didn't know any differently. Um, because that happens. I mean, it happens to, like we just mentioned a, a couple minutes ago. As teachers, there's a lot of things that we don't know when we walk into our classrooms and we are going to make mistakes and we hopefully apologize for them, but we learn from them and move on. The same thing with you as a parent. Um, And you had not only the sibling experience, but of course you watched your, your parents raising a child with unique needs. So did you remember anything that they did that you did now you've started doing um, with your son? So I don't use the same techniques as my parents, but it's funny because I do remember them utilizing a token economy. And my parents were really good about trying to make us um, all on the same page. So even though it was something that was specifically for my brother to help him learn, it was something that was implemented for all of us. Um, you know, we did certain things and we received these like, so they were poker chips, you know, I didn't know <laughs> that's what they were back then. <laughs> my parents were like, okay. And so however many of these chips and we each had our own color, so we couldn't, you know, be sneaky and sneak off <laughs> poker chips. Um, we would have like so many poker chips would get us a can of soda or, you know, uh, we could trade it in for like our, our favorite TV show or, and you know, it was such a long time ago. Can't even remember all the options for the rewards, but it, it was a token economy system. We received these token chips that we would turn in for a real reward. And we only received the um, tokens if we were doing what it is we were supposed to be doing. And um, so I, I find it funny now because my son does use a token economy system. However, we, we don't use poker chips. <laughs> but you that's know, what they had. <laughs> so I do find that funny. And yes, that I guess so that would be the most similar like parenting technique that I did learn from them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, and I love that, that even then, like, like we just mentioned a little bit ago, but there wasn't a lot of research. There wasn't a lot of information on what might work or what might not work. And for them to come up with that and do a positive reinforcement system. Mm-hmm. Um, so often we, and, and we, I mean, everybody in society focus on the negative behaviors. Mm-hmm. We correct the negative behaviors but we often don't give them a, 
better behavior to choose. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we just say, stop doing that. And okay, well now what do I do? Well, I'm going to go do this, you know, and then they might end up getting in more trouble because that's another behavior we don't want them to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so behavior is, I don't have any certifications in behavior, but that was always the area that I think attracted me the most. I loved trying to be a detective basically and find out what the communication behind the behavior was. Mm-hmm. Um, because I believe at least that all behaviors are a communication of some kind, um, mm-hmm. and that there's, you know, a myriad of things that could be attempting to be communicated through those behaviors. Mm-hmm. Um, so what kinds of things, um, are there any kinds of things that are similar between your son and his uncle? So probably the the most unique thing is I actually named my youngest son Brayden in honor of my brother whose name is Brandon. Oh, so that's you nice. know, that's, isn't that weird? And then so like they're they're both on the spectrum. And my my little guy, he he loves his uncle Brandon. That that is like his favorite favorite dude in the whole world. And so I think that that's awesome that they have like this unique bond. And I do hope as my son gets older, that he understands the struggles, you know, that my brother went through, because right now, you know, um, he doesn't understand his diagnosis, which is fine. You know, he understands um, that he struggles more in certain areas than other people. And that, um, you know, he's noticed, why is it so easy for kids to do one thing? And it's so hard for me. Um, But just his comprehension of everything is just not quite there yet. But um, I would say also like the tiptoe walk, they both did the tiptoe walk. Um, My youngest used to have an issue with food touching, but um, I don't know if he just grew out of it or now he just likes everything all mixed together. So (laughs) no, I'll I'll take it either way is fine. But (laughs) um, both of them have glasses. Um, Both of them liked the um, song and music um, cartoon videos. So it's so funny because I do see a lot of my brother and my younger son and I love it because like I said, I always thought that my brother was super cool when I was little. So I never had a problem with any of it. (laughs) And how awesome, because when he was born, I'm sure you didn't know that he Mm -hmm. had autism and then to have all those, not just that name similarity, but then to have all those similar traits. And so I would guess that they are both big buddies with one another. I mean, you're, you're saying he has, you know, he loves his uncle, but I'm sure it's reciprocated. Um, so, so, so tell me more about being a parent. Um, like what have you done that? I mean, we talked about, you know, your parents doing similar things, but is there anything else about being a parent to a child with the special needs that you maybe knew maybe more to do because of having been a sibling. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, it makes sense. (laughs) I was going to say in all honesty, so growing up with my brother, I didn't realize until I was like in middle school, high school that he had a diagnosis. I just thought that, you know, my parents just raised us to believe, you know, we're all unique and we should all be accepting. And so, um, in all honesty, I didn't pay super close attention to, to anything special that they did particular for my brother. And they tried so hard to keep it the same for all of us. You know, like I was talking about, all of us had the same token economy system, even though, you know, my sister and I, 
we didn't really struggle with any sort of maladaptive behaviors. We just thought it was cool that we were able to <laughs> with poker chips. So, right. and um, so no, for me, it was really a learning experience. You know, I knew that my son was delayed because of, I had an older child and I remember, oh, you know, my older son, Dominic, he was reaching all these milestones at certain times. I'm like, man, we're just, we're not even close. You know, maybe I need to say something. And so I knew because of my older son that I needed to talk to a doctor. But mm-hmm. other than that, I really had no idea what the doctor was going to tell me. And um, thank goodness I had a good pediatrician because like I said, I, it was really a learning experience. They kind of talked me through what was going to happen with our evaluations and so it wasn't like a huge surprise when we went through the evaluation, right. but um, getting the diagnosis was because I wasn't really sure. I mean, you know, I just knew that he wasn't talking. He was um, really struggling with some of his like gross motor skills. And so I was just kind of waiting for someone to tell me what to do. <laughs> right. Right. Absolutely. And I, I love that. And I, and I, you're the first sibling that I've ever had on the show. And I've, I've been very curious as to a sibling's perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I love that he was just your brother, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, he's, you know, you, you have, you said you had a sister, right. Mm-hmm. And, and then now you have a brother. So, I mean, to you, that was just like, okay, I have two younger siblings. They're, they're each their own unique person. And, mm-hmm. you know, it is what it is. Um, I, I don't know if, uh, if you know that I've written a book um, mm-hmm. and it's, it's called those who can't teach. And, and in those stories um, that happened with several of the older siblings that the parents would say, well, their sibling didn't know, mm-hmm. you know, that this was just whoever, you know, it was, it was, it was Kathleen or it was Rose or, you know, it was, it was Michael mm-hmm. um, it, because that was, that was just their younger sibling. And um, it's, it's, I wanted to talk to the siblings more um, as I was doing the interviews for the book, but none of them, they're all grown and in college or, you know, somewhere else married or whatever. And um, so I love that from an actual siblings perspective, you, you say, well, no, you know, I treated him just like I treated my sister. You know, I'm sure you, you loved him and you hated him just like you probably loved and hated your sister, depending on the day and the time. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. We're just siblings. We fought, we got along. We, yeah, we just, we lived together and I never knew anything different. You know, it was just, yeah, he's my brother. Yeah. She's my sister. And it wasn't until I was much older that I realized. And then looking back, I was like, wow, he, he really had to go through a lot. And, you know, um, me being naive to the situation, you know, it made me feel bad because I was like, wow, I could, what, what could I have done to make things easier for him? And in all honesty, there's probably nothing I could have done, but right. you know, just being older and wiser now, knowing that he was struggling with way more than I ever could have understood. It, yeah. it is it's harder to, to know that. Yeah. Well, like you said, you know, like what, and what we mentioned, you, you can only do with what you know at the time. And, and if you don't know, you don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, so with your son now, and, and I kind of, when I said like where you're living now, I kind of was like, wait, okay, which state are you in? Um, so you've moved a few different times. So how has that process been with your son going from one district, one state, not mm-hmm. just from district to district, but I mean, you've, you've gone from 
one side of the country to almost the other side. <laughs> yes. I, guess, I guess technically, if you consider the two states, it's about the same as from coast to coast. <laughs> yeah. I'll let you explain what I mean here. <laughs> oh, yeah. So we've ping ponged around a lot from Florida to Colorado to Alaska to Kentucky to now Utah. <laughs> And um, so anytime you move districts or states, you have to go through the reevaluation process. Um, thank goodness, you know, I'm very well versed, thanks to Catherine, on what to do in those things. Um, prior to finding the Master IP Coach um, program, I really just kind of like held my breath and hoped for the best. I didn't understand the best way to request information or to make sure that everything was getting transported from school to school very well. And so um, I had a real big learning experience um, moving from Florida to Colorado. Um, they tried telling me, you know, we don't think that your child is qualified for an IEP. We don't feel that he needs services. And I was just so taken back because I had to translate to the person given the evaluation, everything my son was saying because of his speech delay. And I was like, so I don't understand, you know, why it is you think he doesn't need services when if I wasn't here, you wouldn't have understood anything he said. Right. <laughs> and, you know, I was like, and based off of, you know, we had these other goals in this other state and he hadn't met them. So I don't understand again why it is, you know, and I obviously going around everything the wrong way. I wasn't asking for data. I wasn't giving data. I was just asking a bunch of questions. And I think that they were just like, wow, this lady has way too many questions. You know what? He can just have an IEP. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, the squeaky wheel, not the squeak. What is it? Squeaky wheel gets the grease. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, just you keep at them sometimes. And that's sometimes the best you can do. I know those poor people. I, I, I wish I would have known better, but you know, <laughs> you don't know until you, you know, and, um, I struggled through that in Colorado and just them constantly telling me, Oh, he's doing so poorly and we don't know how to help him. Oh, well, neither do I, I thought you guys were supposed to be telling me, you know, so right. uh, going through that, um, process and learning, Oh, I can actually give opinions but I need to support them with data and okay, these routines or these strategies are working at home. We can collaborate with the school and make them work for him there as well. You know, learning how to do all that was a game changer for me. And I didn't actually do that until we moved to Alaska, but um, it moving to Alaska was great too, because they have a, an amazing special needs community up there. So um before and while I was going through the program, I had a lot more resources available to me. So I, I learned a lot through my travels and through those transitions and me just trying to find that knowledge. I just, I knew that I need, I needed to find a way to do better for myself because I, I needed to kind of calm the anxieties that I was, <laughs> I was finding sure. as a special needs parent. But finding all that information, it was really life-changing for me and my child. And so the reason that you moved um, is because you are a military spouse, right? So my husband was military, but okay. we actually were just trying to find a place to settle down um, when we were doing the moves. And when we moved to Colorado, we loved the mountains. We thought we'd stay there, but I was just struggling so much with the school system that when he was offered a promotion to go to Alaska, I was like, that. yes, 
<laughs> just we, get me out of here. <laughs> and maybe if we try someplace else, you know, maybe that'll be better. And um, so then we ended up in Alaska. And like I said, they had such a great special needs community there. And the school there was amazing. And then I took the master IEP coach course and I was able to be more collaborative and actually be a real part of the IEP team versus the person that was just mad because they weren't, I felt like they weren't listening to me, but it, I just didn't have any data to support what I was saying before. And um, we loved being in Alaska. I loved the community there, um, but I, I was in a really bad car accident and I just needed to be closer to my family. You know, it was uh, very traumatic. The lady who hit me passed away and oh. I was providing services to a gentleman with disabilities at the time. So I was knocked unconscious and I woke up to him crying and, you know, kind of my mom gear, you know, I have to protect somebody's hurt. I have to protect sure. them and keeping them safe. And um, then realizing that I was unable to even take care of my family the way that I had before. I was like, I just have to be closer to, to those that I can lean on. And so um, we came back to the lower 48, right as COVID was, was <laughs> happening. So um, then that forced us to move again because, you know, we both lost our positions because of the pandemic. And so we are hoping that Utah is going to be our forever home <laughs> because I'm definitely ready to settle in one place. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. And I'm, I, I'm sure your child would prefer to only go through as triennial evaluations and not every six months, eight months or a year, however many times it's had to happen for him, bless his heart. <laughs> oh, yes. So that, I want to know, um, because being in so many different places, um, I mean, you and I can work with people no matter where they are in the country, but you've actually had the experience yourself of being and experiencing several different districts and their evaluation process. So can you think of some similarities and some big differences amongst the four or five that you have <laughs> dealt with? Oh, yes. So certain states like a lot of documentation. Other states are okay with accepting information from other states or other districts. And, you know, they're fine with that. They're like, yeah, if it was okay there, it's, it's okay here. Other places are like, no, you need to make sure that um, it's up to up to date or as it's recent as possible. Um, another big thing would be like the names that they use for their um, their meetings. So in Kentucky, I want to say it was called ARC meetings, but it's it's an IEP meeting, but they call them ARC meetings. Mm -hmm. And um, that's also what they call like their evaluations as well, like the ARC evaluations. Um, I think that was the probably the only state that I was really confused about the names, but the processes were very similar, like at least the big parts, you know, the um, testing that they use can be different as well. Certain states prefer other assessments over others. Um, you can always ask which assessment it is that the state's going to be using or the district, because I believe it can be depending upon what state you're in. The district can also have um, a variance in that particular assessment. Um, I'd also say the amount of information you're given to can vary because of the fact that certain districts expect you to be more knowledgeable. So they don't 
I don't think that it's necessarily they're trying to not give you that information. They just assume that you have the information um, and other districts assume that you don't have any information. So they give you a lot of information. Okay. So um, I've definitely been in both places where I'm like, I really need this information. Where do I get it from? And they're like, oh, you don't have it? <laughs> yeah. That's and then another one where they've given me five copies of the same thing. I'm like, I'm good. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because we already kill enough trees in special education. We don't need to give the same thing five times. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, so that's interesting. Um, I mean, and it, the thing that I find the most interesting is that every state falls under the umbrella of the federal regulation. Mm -hmm. Um but there is so much interpretation um, and there are, that was another area that I was really interested in. And so I've, I've dig, dug into it a lot and I'm digging into it again now, but um, there are some parts that say, you know, okay, this is the, the, the statute or the regulation, but the state can, you know, unless they have a different time frame or if they, mm -hmm. you know, want to do this slightly different, but I mean, overall, it's pretty much all coming from the federal regulation. Mm -hmm. um, so I just find that really interesting that everybody reads it a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I know that there are a lot of people that are very much against the, the common core state standards. An argument for them would be like a situation like yours where your family moved several times mm -hmm. and if everybody was doing the same thing, it would have been maybe a little bit of a smoother transition because when you left Florida, I don't know when you left, but let's say you left in November and then when you got to Colorado in November, they should have been, you know, kind of in the same area of, of what you, your son and daughter were doing back in Florida, mm -hmm. but that isn't the case either. Mm -mm. No. <laughs> um, and so did you find big, those big gaps too, as far as where your children were learning what skills in one state and then you went to the next one and it was vastly different? So thank goodness for my younger one. He has been um, in school since he was three because he was in the disabilities. Oh, they call it disability preschool in Florida. Um, like I said before, they can have different names. And mm -hmm. I also will say this. All states will have a type of disability preschool. However, they may not offer a mainstream preschool. So if you have a child that you feel needs that extra assistance, definitely look into that. Um, so because it was a preschool setting, they kind of did a lot of repetitive stuff. And so for him during our first couple of moves, um, it was a lot of repetitiveness anyways. And I was supplementing at home as well, because I was like, we're, we're learning these shapes. We're learning. <laughs> and so thank goodness that was pretty good for him. It was more different for my older son who was in mainstream from the get go. You know, um, I believe in Colorado, they were still teaching cursive. And so we moved to Alaska and I want to say it was like an optional thing. Um, the teacher that my son had allowed the kids to use cursive, but it wasn't uh, part of the curriculum. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, he thinks it's pretty cool because he's one of the few kids that knows cursive. Um, <laughs> and a lot of his peers now that were in Utah, they don't know it. It's just something that wasn't offered. Right. Yeah. And that's a big one all across the country. I've seen mm -hmm. debates about that for probably five years or 
probably longer than that is, you know, do we use it? Is it necessary? And should we teach it? And, you know, um, there's so many things that they expect us to teach now that we kind of had to figure out, is this one important? Can I put this one up on the shelf or do I have to leave it in the curriculum? And um, so that that's definitely a big one. Mm -hmm. um, so what other experiences I'm, I'm trying to run through the article because um, it was such a beautiful article. And I know there were some hard things to talk about in that article. Um, is there anything that you wish you would have known that you would like to share so that maybe somebody else who might be wishing for the same information would know? Mm -hmm. So my biggest thing right now that I'm really focusing on is there just are not enough services for our kiddos as they age out of the public school system. Um, you know, you really have to be finding like a solidified like group or tribe that your, you know, family is a part of to kind of find those areas where your kid's going to blossom because, um, there just aren't a lot of services. You know, when I was in Alaska, one of the things that I loved is I worked with adults. So, you know, we did day hab, um, community services, um, supported employment. You know, we, we, practice resume writing, how to do interviews, um, how to do chores, grocery shopping, budgeting, all these things that um, with, they need more time to practice. It doesn't come as easy, uh, some of those skills. And so having the opportunity to practice those would be like just hum huge for them, you know, whether you do it yeah. at home, allowing them to practice it with peers. It's just something that's so necessary. And I'm hoping that within the next coming years, that that is something that I can help change is making sure that those services are still there for our kids when they're trying to figure out who they are and they're trying to find how to be a part of their community. Yeah. I was just speaking to someone recently and I don't remember if she said that it was Michigan or Wisconsin. She's in Illinois. I think she said it was Michigan where they are allowing their students to stay until through their 25th birthday. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Which the, yeah. Which the federal guideline is the day before their 22nd birthday or through mm -hmm. their 21st year. Yep. So yeah, that, that was very encouraging. And I'm like you, I don't see a lot of services. I'm in a fairly rural area and there's just, I mean, there's not a lot for most anybody to do, but there's certainly a deficit when it comes to services for our kids aging out of the system around here. Um, I was, I had an interview, well, not an interview, but on my other show that I do on Fridays called Friday with Fran, um, we had a gentleman on this past week and he was talking about his 21 year old and how his parenting is changing because they are still working on cooking and teaching all the kitchen skills. And, you know, she's still learning how to read and um, just a lot of things that they maybe didn't really think they would still be doing mm -hmm. uh, at that, at that point in her life. And yeah, there aren't, I mean, he's, he's in my area and he's like, there's, there's really not much for her. There's maybe one program and mm -hmm. there's a waiting list to get into that program because it's oh, the yeah. only program. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So that's awesome that you're doing that. So you really have the, the whole gamut of. <laughs> yeah. I just, just a little bit of everything. 
<laughs> well, that's that's very awesome. So you mentioned, and I always try to define um, any acronym. So you mentioned ABA earlier, and I know I've had people that have talked about ABA before, but in case people are watching who don't know what that is, um, could you go ahead and explain that, please? Yeah, so it's applied behavior analysis. And so essentially, kind of like what I was saying before, it's um, giving positive reinforcement to the good behaviors and trying to redirect or give replacement behaviors for the ones that we don't want to see, you know, self-injury, um, aggression, the things that kind of make it hard for your child to access their community and their environment. Right. And it's not just behaviors, right? There's a whole system of, of academic programs oh, as yeah. well. Yeah, we do um, direct trial training, which is helping them learning um, um, how to identify like um, community signs, um, community workers, clothing, it, anything that they're really struggling with, even like pronouns, trying to figure out, um, you know, my child still, that's something that he struggles with is pronouns is trying to, he'll say he instead of she, and he gets them kind of mixed up and then they, and you know, it's, it, he's still young enough to where I know that that's something that we're going to be continuing to work on, but it really does. Um, it creates a nice sense of pride because they get reinforced and they get those opportunities to get the answer correct and then be reinforced for their correct answers. And so um, they also have really strong relationships with the therapist that they're working with. Um, you know, creating a positive bond is a real big part in ABA therapy, trying to do a lot of play learning as well or natural environment training. So um, I, it's something that I wish I would have known about sooner. It is definitely, I think, world changing for some kiddos, especially ones that are just really struggling with um, any current situation. It's, it's a nice change and it's very, um, it creates a lot of momentum in their family and in their life. Yeah. And so you get to work with the families as well or is, oh, yeah. yeah. Yes, yes. Something that I've always loved in all of the clinics that I've had the opportunity to work with is we offer, you know, family training. We want the families to be able to implement the same interventions that we're offering in the clinic because um, it helps create generalization for those kids, for those positive behaviors that we are rewarding. And we want it to be um, a, a whole family thing. You know, it's supposed to be something that helps them be close. And um, so that we can all celebrate those wins. You know, we talk about like everyone is a big win. And yeah. so that's really, really what it is in ABA. We all celebrate that with the child, with the parents, um, within the clinic. It's, it's a big thing. That's so awesome. And one of the things I used to do, the discrete trial trainings and the, um, the applied behavior part. And one of the things that I remember and I would use with a lot of my students it, possibly even all of my students, because I think it became such a part of my vernacular that I didn't even really think about it after a while. Do they still encourage using the word nope? Nope. Um, we actually use no thank you a lot, actually. Okay. <laughs> about it or try again. So if we have a kiddo um, that maybe has done something um, that we want to redirect, we might say, oh, no, thank you. Let's let's try again, or what could we do different, depending upon the age too. Um, mm -hmm. If they're younger, um, we don't, I guess, give 
options, we say we can try this instead. We um, we kind of give more direction because when they're younger, it's a little bit harder for them to understand why it is they're being redirected. Right. Um, I work with um, the middle secondary age group right now. So a lot of times we'll ask, you know, so that they can practice those critical thinking skills. We'll say something like, no, thank you. What do you think we could do if you were trying to convey this? And so they'll think about it for a second and they'll say, oh, I could have done this. And I'm like, awesome. That's great. Yes, you're right. That's exactly what you could have done. And so then we'll say, okay, so let's try that again, you know, and then we'll replay mm-hmm. what just happened. And we give them a lot of positive reinforcement for doing the correct thing. Yeah. I just remember that because it, when we, you know, like if they, if we said do this, you know, and they didn't do whatever that was and we'd say, nope, you know, and then we do this. Um, <laughs> but the, the reason that we were trained to use nope is because it's really hard to say that word with frustration. Because it's like, you know, so they're like, you're not going to say no, because if you say no, you can, you know, you're going to change your tone of voice. Probably you've said it 10 times in a row Um, (laughs) or, you know, it's a behavior and you're getting a little nervous or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, So I always, I always thought that was me. Um, So I still, I mean, I just found myself and I still find myself just using the word nope. And it does, it is, I mean, I've tried to say it mad and I just trying to do it. And it's like, yeah, no, it, it doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the other thing that I always liked about that was the, the short, simple, direct instructions. Like, you know, like I said, do this, touch mm-hmm. this, find this, which one is, you know, what, and like, at, at least what I remember, and it's been many years since I've done ABA with any of my students, but um, each program had its own wording. Yes. Yes. And um, it has its own wording because a lot of times you're shaping a behavior. So something that is acceptable and you're giving positive reinforcement to, it's leading to what it is we're we're hoping to do. So like if you're trying to help a kid learn the color yellow and they can't say yellow, but they say lello, you know, Mm -hmm. yep, that's right. That's lello. You know, you give them the positive reinforcement and then as a um, learn those skills and they gain the ability to be able to say it more correctly. Then if they said Lello, we'd say, Oh, let's try again. What's the color? And they'd say yellow. And then, yes, it's yellow. you know, like super exciting. And then it's, it's just kind of, um, helping create the momentum and leading them in the correct direction. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, I, I really thought that it was a great program. And over the years I ended up kind of meshing a bunch of different, parts of different programs that I had learned and sort of made my own behavior therapy program or behavior management program. And um, yeah, it definitely had components of ABA interwoven in there because I really did see the value and the benefit Mm -hmm. from all the different programs and the the strategies that were used. So we're coming up to about 50 minutes and I don't like these to ever go longer than an hour. Um, So I want to make sure that we have covered everything that you want to cover? Is there any topic that we haven't talked on yet? I don't think so. I (laughs) I mean, I could be wrong, but I I think we're good. And I mean, if you happen to think of something we didn't cover, I am always willing to come back. (laughs) Awesome. That's good to know. So you and I did uh, a a few months back, um, we were on a similar type platform with our mentor, Catherine. And she threw the question out at all of us at the last minute. What was the worst special education advice you've ever been given? Mm -hmm. Um, Do you remember what you said? Um, 
I believe I said something about, um, oh goodness, actually now I'm trying to remember because now that you're asking me right now, I can think of a couple of different ones too. <laughs> um, I, I want to say that it was something about assistive technology because um, my kiddos now utilizing it. And um, I think it had something to do with the school saying, oh, we don't do that here. I think that's <laughs> like, it like, well, um, we kind of do it everywhere. So <laughs> it's kind of in the federal law. I mean, whatever. Exactly. You know. And I was like, you know, kind of like visual schedules are actually technically assistive technology because yeah, yeah. It's technology, it's simple technology, but right. Yeah. Low, what do they call it? Low, 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 uh, tech. low, low tech. tech. Yeah. Just low tech. Yeah. yeah low tech. So um, I want to say that that was it because I've, I've definitely heard quite a few since then um, because it's, you know, IEP season right now. And so I'm working with several clients that they're telling me things and I'm like, oh, no, no, yeah, we're going to fix that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So for anybody watching, um, assistive technology is everywhere. So and it's not just assistive technology. If they say we don't do that, that's that's no, you it, well, you may not have done it in the past, but this would be appropriate for my child. So we're going to learn how to do this now. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I, mine was um, the progress reports. It was okay to put sufficient or making progress or oh, yeah. limited progress. <laughs> like, really? What does mm -hmm. that mean? Yeah. Um, you know, so... Yeah, I, I that was that was interesting. How, but she likes to do that to us. She likes to throw that one question at us that she hasn't prepared us for, just to keep us on our toes. I think. Yeah. So, so, Jessica, I've so much enjoyed this, and I hope I get to see you this summer. Are you going to yes, make it to? Oh yes, definitely. Awesome. awesome. <laughs> Yay! All right. So, how can people keep up with you and find out what you're doing? So um, they can find me on Facebook or Instagram at Jessica Ann Kong. Or they can go to my website at jessicaannkong.com. That's J-E-S-S-I-C-A-A-N-N-K-O-N-G. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. And um, you have had that experience with, with the military spouses. You have been, you know, in different districts. You have uh, the whole age gamut of, you know, zero to, to 21, it sounds like, and beyond. Um, so, you know, if you are looking for somebody um, and you are in Utah, definitely look for Jessica. Um, but yeah, if you're anywhere in the country, reach out to Jessica, reach out to me. Um, we would both love to chat with you and um, see how we can help you get that appropriate education to meet the unique needs of your child, to help them prepare for further education, employment, and independent living. Um, you can go to my website and possibly Jessica's, I definitely know mine, to get um, a free IEP checklist. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if there's anything else on Jessica's website that she might be giving away, but definitely check her out, jessicaannkong.com. And you can check mine out if you're watching this and you've never been to my website. It is shellykino.com. I thank you again so much for being here and um, just have a great IEP season. <laughs> uh, you too. <laughs> Thanks. Bye-bye, everybody. <laughs>